Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matter. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, I love your question. Shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. Taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, it's all fair game. You can also... Go to the website, chadburton.com, find out about me and team of CFPs and all the things that we do. Um, the CFPs, since we're trained in all those areas, obviously investments is a good portion of what we do. It's not everything by any means, but what I'm seeing a lot of after doing this for a little over 26 years is a lot of assets priced for, 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 priced for perfection. And what I mean by that is, look, we, we all know that we're going to see 20% plus earnings growth on the S&P 500 this year. We all know that because you're, I talked about this last show. It's always comparing to the same quarter last year. And this next quarter especially is going to be real rough last year because that was when the market drastically declined and everything started shutting down. So the comparables are going to be easy. That's why the market rallied last year despite the slowdown in the economy. And then a lot of things that were digitally based that were we were already going as a society work from home, work remote, using technology to be productive, um, the Zooms, the Pelotons of the world, that kind of thing. And, and Netflix, assets priced for perfection. And what happens? I saw it today when Netflix dropped about 11% after their new subscriber miss. Yet their earnings and revenue beat expectations, but everybody thought it already would. They had a lot of pull forward, people that signed up sooner than they probably would have because they had to stay at home. They couldn't go out to the movies. They couldn't go to the gym as much. They started binge watching stuff like my latest one was uh, Peaky Blinders, which I have to still finish, which is so good. If you haven't seen it and you need something to watch, watch it. I like it. Anyway, when I looked at it, it's got a P ratio of 80 versus the S&P 500, which is a little over 22. So for every dollar of earnings, you're paying over 80 bucks for it. S&P 500, you're only paying, well... I say only, it's higher than the 10 and 15 year average, but a little over 22 for every dollar of earnings when you add up all those companies in the S&P 500 and what they're making. And yeah, they've had over 21% quarterly year over year revenue growth, but that's been slowing a bit. At a PE of 80, gosh, Apple has a 21% year over year revenue growth at a PE of 35.9 when I was looking at it earlier today. So the S&P 500 as a whole is expected this year of a little over 6 to 7% revenue growth. 
So that's why those companies are trading at a high PE. <clears throat> but you're priced for, for perfection. And we see debit digit clients when you don't come in with expected numbers. So it's interesting because there's certain areas of the economy where things are just too expensive. You know, I'm seeing it all over the place. If you're doing anything in construction, everybody's talking about how much lumber costs. You see those kind of memes that are out there right now, tell me you're something without telling me you're something where you just show a picture. And there was one out there that says, tell me you're rich without showing me you're rich. And somebody just posted a big pile of wood, like, you know, lumber, two by fours, things like that. Lumber costs because of supply chain disruption issues because of COVID, because of tariff issues, um, adhesive issues from all those plants that are in Texas that produce adhesive. Construction costs have gone through the roof. I talked about this in the last show at how it stalled a lot of con- commercial construction projects. And recently dealing with uh, a boat issue, boat construction costs, boat prices are going up double digits this next year. And almost all boat companies are sold out of their new build slots for new boats. Isn't that crazy? This economy was supposed to be slowing this last year. <laughs> And now we have all of these goods like RVs, boats, and side-by-sides and all that fun stuff. Prices going through the roof. And then there's the speculation bubble and inflation where people are buying IPOs. They have no idea what their revenue is, what their revenue growth prospects are, how much money the company makes. People, okay, I, I can't give a strong opinion on cryptocurrency because I get the use of it. I mean, if I'm sitting in a country that has horrible leadership and inflationary issues and the currency's weakening and I, I need a place to put my money, I totally get cryptocurrency. It's a store of value outside of my country's currency. And I get the blockchain. I love the technology behind blockchain. Um, the idea that paper money is just stupid. It's disgusting. I hate paper money. It's so gross. And how many people have touched that and we're dealing with COVID? Um, but it, it's still so volatile. I don't know how I'd run a business that only was selling my goods or services based on cryptocurrency because it's going up. I mean, look at Dogecoin up 400% in the last week or so. How do you run a business off that? You can't. And the, the transaction fees, super high. It's not cheap yet. It's very early wild, wild west. And it is a store of value, people. It is not an investment. It just, I I don't get it when people go on and say, you know, call these things investments as if they're stocks. And I know people that have invested in cryptocurrency thinking that is some sort of a stock. It is a store of value. There is no revenues. There's no expenses equaling earnings. It is a store of value. You're always assuming if that's going to go up in value that it's somebody else eventually will pay more for that coin, that cryptocurrency coin you can't even see or hold in your hand, somebody else is going to be willing to pay you more for it. Plain and simple. And so I'm seeing this FOMO buying in almost every asset right now. I'm seeing FOMO buying in automobiles, believe it or not. Look at CarMax's inventory in AutoNation. I'm seeing FOMO buying in RVs, boats, cryptocurrency, IPOs, tech stocks, anything related to covid 
FOMO buying, pushing up prices to the point where I haven't seen it since 1999. Now, the difference in 1999 is almost everything was just bubble-like, except for small cap value and real estate back then. Now I'm seeing just so many good stocks being ignored and financials and industrials and different companies are just kind of being ignored because they're not in the COVID play. And why I don't want to build anything right now, I almost want to buy property and hold on to it because I know these building costs are going to go down. This this level of cost of lumber and adhesives and all that kind of stuff, it's not going to last forever because this craze isn't going to last forever. But I just be careful with this FOMO buying, warn your kids about it. Because look, a good example of this is, in my opinion, I was talking about this with a buddy the other day. I, I, I love Tesla. I own a Tesla. It's the funnest thing I've ever driven. However, well, it's not like I've driven a ton, but it's a super fun vehicle to drive. And I love just plugging it in and not worrying about it. But Elon Musk has said his, his life goal almost, not in those words, but he has to get to Mars before he dies. He has to get people to Mars. That's one of his goals. And to me, this is a very, very smart guy that will do anything he possibly can to make that happen. So when he puts some of Tesla's cash into cryptocurrency, and then he's an influencer on social media and he tells people about it, other people are going to buy it. That's going to put the prices up. And that means once the cryptocurrency went up in value that he owns, he can do more with it. He can buy more rocket fuel. He can open a new plant, buy more batteries. I don't know somebody's going to be left holding the bag there. And it's a matter of how long you go on for the ride and eventually get back out because it's years away from becoming really, really, really super easy and cost-effective to use without volatility in terms of a store of value. I do know a buddy, good friend of mine, futures trader, been long Bitcoin's done very well on it. Just bought a Tesla with Bitcoin. Pretty successful transaction. So it's becoming more and more common out there. All right, I'm talking a little bit about Bitcoin and Dogecoin, not because it's it's hard for me to talk about this because I don't want to be too negative on it, but I, I, I hate it when I see people too positive on an asset class. Because when it's gone up like it has, and I see all this FOMO buying and people posting on social media, people that have never bought a dividend paying stock and reinvested the dividends, people that have never bought an index fund and reinvested it, people that have never funded a Roth IRA or could put enough money into their 401k to get the match are buying this stuff. And it's FOMO, fear of missing out, or they're trying to catch up because they're behind on the on the game and they were able to stay at work, yet they still got a stimulus check. So people are still worried about what are they going to do, buy a jet ski or invest in cryptocurrency? That's literally the choices of some of the millennials that they're making out there. And people have done good with it now, but the reason why the assets are going up right now is because of the FOMO. Oh, I got to get in before it gets up too high. But how do you value a store of value? There's no earnings or revenue. And there is really good arguments in favor of cryptocurrency. I think that we should have a system for voting in this country that is based on cryptocurrency. We're already seeing, not cryptocurrency itself, but the blockchain behind it. And we're already seeing that with uh, vaccinations being tracked by blockchain and things like that. Um, But paper money is a joke. the, the, the thing that you have to be aware of if you're investing in cryptocurrencies, you need to understand it, which is very difficult. You take everything you don't know about math, add that with everything you don't know about computers and everything you don't know about currency. You put it all together, that's cryptocurrency, right? And so you have to understand what you're investing in, which most people don't, that it's a store of value. 
and realize that on one hand, it's really, really good for the way that we transact business in the world and tracking and everything else. On the other hand, it could be the world's largest Ponzi scheme ever, where you're going to pile into it, keep piling in, keep piling in, and all the people that got in well before you will pull out as soon as it gets to a high point. Because for it to continue to go up in net value, there has to be more and more people willing to pay more and more for that cryptocurrency coin, okay? So keep that in mind. And, and the, the Ethereum and Bitcoin and all that, get it. Looking for some of the uses that's going on overseas with Ethereum. Dogecoin, though, started as a joke in 2013. Fox, was it Fox Business? I just saw an article on this. I think it was Fox, but Dogecoin started as a joke in 2013. And my little brother lives in Austin, Texas. He's a computer programmer. He's got two Shiba Inus dogs. These are funny, just weird little dogs, right? And it's this meme where you get this Shiba Inu dog that has this really weird look on its face. And then you just put some, I don't know, stupid meme underneath it. And that's how Dogecoin started as a joke based on that dog. Okay. That's what we're dealing with here. It skyrocketed. (laughs) What is it? Like four, almost 400% in the last week or so. Um, And people are just jumping in. Not realizing this is a cryptocurrency that started as a joke. So these things are a store of value. Just like gold or anything else, it's just on a different system. And I get it, but at the same time, these types of moves where I start to see people that do not have a financial base built, that don't have room yet in their portfolio for speculation, I don't think they realize that they can potentially get hurt in all of this once the people at the top decide to unwind it. And I hope it makes sense. I hope I'm not too negative on cryptocurrency because um, I don't mind if people that have assets own some of it at all. And the people that have owned it have done really, really well. They probably weren't saying that loud, but what, two Thanksgivings ago when it crashed really hard? So you're going to see big peaks and big valleys in this stuff. It's the wild, wild west. Um, I didn't really want to get too much into cryptocurrency in the show, but I wanted to finish that thought of pushing that to you, your kids, whoever, that when we get into markets where people start to speculate and buy based on FOMO, fear of missing out, trying to catch up because they came late to the party, that tends to signal market tops. Now, in this situation, it's different from 2007 and and 1999 because it's not everything that's up and there's no credit issue here. There's a ton of cash on the sidelines and and savings on the sidelines and credit restrictions are pretty tight, starting to loosen up. But So I don't see an overall bubble yet at this point except for speculation, except for IPOs and companies that are trading at valuations that don't make sense based on their revenue. So be careful when it comes to that stuff. Build that financial base. And you know, you, you start off, you make sure you put enough money in your 401k to get the match. That's free money. That's 100% return right there, people. 100% return. If you put enough money into the 401k, the 401k to get the match, it's 100% return. You have a Roth IRA that you invest in index funds. That grows tax-free for the rest of your life. I mean, you got to do that stuff. And in index funds, ETFs, reinvest the dividends so that those dividends automatically buy more shares for you. If you start speculating before you've done those things, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. It's going to backfire at some point. I don't know when, but it will. Because 
man, I, I tell you what, any house that's going up for sale in the hot markets, like the Northwest or Dallas, Austin, <laughs> the speculation and the FOMO, the hand over fist offers where people are overpaying for these assets right now. It's a little bit silly. There's a lot of great stocks in the industrial space and financial space. And uh, I don't know. It's frustrating. Just be diversified and, and know when you can and can't speculate. And that's, that's what I'll say. And if you're going to invest in cryptocurrency, know that you could have a pretty big hit in the near future. So you wouldn't want to do it with money that you need right away. Because what if Elon Musk says, oh, I'm going to sell all my cryptocurrency to pay for a new rocket. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you got celebrity investors driving asset prices, I don't like it. I just don't. I don't know. I, I could, you, you could replay the show in 10 years. And I could sound like a total idiot. But when everybody's talking about the same thing, I've learned over the last 26, 27 years to be patient and don't ever do FOMO buying. Anything that I've bought without doing a lot of thinking where it's been like a sudden urge or I felt like I have to get this done. I have to get this purchase. I have to get, I've always regretted it. Every single one. When you take a patient approach at it and like real estate right now, maybe you can't find a good deal right now, but there's nothing wrong with continuing to save money for a bigger down payment in the future so that when we do go through a real estate cycle, that is, there's a decline. You have way more to put down. You get a better price on the property. Yeah, your mortgage is going to be higher, but you've put more down so you still can control that cost and you got a little bit better price. So just be patient when it comes to purchasing anything that's already gone way up in value. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. There was a lot of stuff in the American Rescue Plan. So we had the CARES Act, Secure Act, and the American Rescue Plan, and now they're working on an infrastructure package. All of those things tell me taxes are going up in the future. And that's another soapbox I can get on. But in a, what I wanted to talk about right now is the changes in COBRA due to COVID. So let's say you lost your job as a result of COVID. And when you lose a job or you quit, you retire, and you're prior to age 65, you can typically stay on your company's healthcare plan for 18 months. But you pay all the costs plus a little admin. So it's usually like 102% of the cost. It's pretty expensive. And it's very comparable in a lot of cases to maybe the platinum plan if you go to Cal Covered California. When you... They, the Affordable Care Act plans for California. There's a bunch of different plans. Platinum is the most expensive one, the highest amount of coverage. Well, under the American Rescue Plan, it created this situation that I think companies are still trying to figure out where it's supposed to give people starting April 1st of this year through September 31st free COBRA premiums. So I have some people that I know that were either took early or forced into early retirement as a result of COVID paying several thousand dollars a month for their family and health insurance premiums. And the, the hardest thing to figure out, I think, is some of these ones that were, you know how you get these early retirement packages that are basically, hey, here's a chance to take an early retirement package with an extra benefit and a little payout going on. 
And you pretty much know based on history in the tech world, in the Bay Area especially, that if you don't take that early package, you're getting laid off shortly anyways. So a lot of those packages came as a result of COVID. And a lot of people are wondering, Am, are my premiums going to be free now until September 31st? I know a lot of companies are still working through that because the way that, the way that this happens is like the company has to pay for it, but they did, there's a tax credit program. And that is a nightmare for a lot of companies to deal with. It's really a law that was passed that might be easier for like a Cisco to deal with, but a, a small company with 100 employees, good luck. It's really tough. Like Congress does a lot of stupid things when it comes to small business and trying to run one. That's why I think it's almost like we need to have more people that have actually run a business in Congress so they know how these things work. All right. Um, Now, also there's these out there, these credits that you can get on top of that. You have to think about where... Once COBRA is up, or if you're in COBRA and you know you're not going to get anything free for some reason, there are some pretty significant credits that were sparked as a result of the American Rescue Plan to help people pay for the covered California plans or any Affordable Care Act plans, really, but California especially. I ran some numbers for somebody that was really kind of forced into an early retirement, and uh, but they could have retired years ago. They've saved a ton of money and just in dividends and interest alone, they're over $170,000 a year of annual income. Uh, that does not include capital gains, but when I ran it at just that without including capital gains, which you do have to include this family of four would have still qualified for almost free insurance coverage under the the uh, silver plan for covered California. And so that means a very low cost out of pocket for the platinum plan. So I wanted to point that out there because that's kind of been a bit of a change with the American rescue plan and how people are dealing with Cobra. One of the things I want to point out is where this comes out a lot is people that save diligently and they want to retire at 60 still have to come up with a plan in place. How are they going to have health insurance from 60 to age 65 when Medicare kicks in? Once Medicare kicks in, Medicare Part A is your major comprehensive plan. You get the Medicare Part B, which costs you money on a monthly basis, around 140 bucks a month, but could be three times that amount if you make a lot of money because there's a surtax on it. Um, but then you get a supplemental insurance plan. So at age 65, your whole deal changes. But prior to that, you're typically going to COBRA for 18 months and then go on one of the if you're in California, one of their California health affordable care plans or a combination of that, maybe you Cobra for a while and then switch over to, the, to a plan. So I think that if you're in that situation, make sure you're realizing what's available to you under the American rescue plan. And you can Google that information. It's pretty easy to find. Um, and it, it's like today I was messing around with a Kaiser calculator on those premium credits for that family. Um, Now, one of the other things that the American Rescue Plan also did was greatly increase the dependent care FSA accounts. And because of this, there there is a way, okay, this gets a little bit complicated, but, and you you all probably haven't even thought about it since what the October, November timeframe when you had open enrollment at your employer. During your open enrollment, you have to choose what healthcare you plan you want for the next year, right? And you're, there's all these different options. You either pay more money out of pocket and you have a plan where, hey, I only have a $2,000 deductible and you know $5,000 out of pocket if everybody in my family goes to the doctor a bunch for the year. But the premiums are higher. 
Or you can choose to do an HSA plan where you have a much higher deductible. And when you have a higher deductible, you're typically, um, oh, what's the deductible limit? Something like $2,800 uh, minimum. Yeah, yeah $2,800 minimum deductible worth for the first $2,800, you're paying 100%. And then it's a very limited coverage amount for the rest of it. And you could be out of pocket for $7,000 or more a year if you go to the doctor a lot. But doing the HSA plan, when you do the HSA plan, you're allowed to set up then an HSA investment account where you can put money in pre-tax. That money grows tax deferred and you can take it out tax-free like a Roth IRA to pay for health insurance costs or for health care costs, not health insurance costs. The only health insurance premiums you can pay for with the HSA account is COBRA premiums or once you turn 65, Medicare premiums and long-term care insurance and things like that. It is a great plan to have in place in retirement. And what I've always said in the past on this show is that I tell you what, if you're a couple or a single person that's healthy, your kids are out of college, you're kind of on their own and nobody goes to the doctor that much, you should definitely be looking into the HSA plan because it allows you to build up this tax-free pool of money. The idea is you get a high deductible plan and you have enough cash flow that you can contribute to the HSA account, get the tax deduction, build up that tax-free pool of money. Do not touch it. Still pay for all of those out-of-pocket costs out of pocket. Don't you only want to do this if you can afford to do it out of pocket. So you have good cash flow. And then all of a sudden you get to retirement and you've got so much diversification. You have your cash, which has already been taxed, your 401k, which will be taxable, your Roth money, which is totally tax-free, and then your HSA money, which you can use to pay for all these healthcare costs. And you can keep your taxes really, really low. And you can, believe it or not, combine this with certain types of FSA accounts. These are different. Flex spending accounts traditionally allow you to put money pre-tax into an account that you can use to pay for medical costs, but there's a limited type of FSA you can use when you do an HSA plan. Is this getting complicated yet? You want to know the complicated thing about this? Try to go into a Word document or an email and type in HSA account. Microsoft will always correct that to H-A-S. It's so annoying. You have to type it three times before it actually works. But anyways, you can, the, the American Rescue Plan changed the FSA amount for the limited purpose FSA, which is restricted to qualified dental and vision expenses. And you can actually open one of these limited purpose FSAs, even if you're doing an HSA. And this is something that was new to me that one of my advisors looked into, and I didn't quite understand that yet. And so I was looking at this and the fact that, okay, yeah, we went through some significant medical expenses in the family the last couple of years, but this next open enrollment in October, I think I'm going to be switching to an HSA, a limited purpose FSA. And then there's also uh, a big change because of the, thank you to the American Rescue Plan for dependent care FSA. So let's say you have a lot of child care costs. You can do a dependent care FSA. For married couples filing joint returns, the cap is now you can put in 10,500 pre-tax into these things. That's more than doubled for married couples. For single filers, you can get into 5,250 pre-tax. That's up from 2,500 bucks. What does this mean? It means... For married couples, finally, jointly, they have significant childcare costs. 
you can pay for up to 10,500 of that cost pre-tax if you use these FSA plans correctly. Then you can do additional tax deductions with an HSA plan if you guys don't go to the doctor that much and make all of these work together. The other thing that I wanted to point out that is often missed is on the HSA plans, these high deductible health plans that allow you to get these HSA investment accounts opened up. And I think Fidelity has one of the best ones, by the way. Um, you can put into these things an individual family coverage under a qualifying high deductible health plan can contribute up to $7,200 in 2021. All right, $7,200. If you're both 55 or older, you can contribute an additional catch-up contribution of 1000 bucks a year. So let's say you have one person working, the worker would put in 80, and they're both over 55, the worker would put in $8,200 if they're covering the family. And then the spouse opens up a separate account and contributes $1,000 in a separate HSA account to get that other catch up. Okay, so that $1,000 tax deduction is often missed. Keep that in mind. I know everybody's kind of dealing with taxes and things like that. And I don't think the HSAs were extended to May 17th, but I'll look that up. So long story short, really pay attention to those benefits at work because the HSA, those limited uh, FSA accounts and the child dependent care can help a lot of families out save taxes if you use everything correctly. I've got a great question here. Uh, this question, I'll just uh, call him Jim. And if you tell me not to use your full name, of course, I'm not going to use your last name. But if you don't want me to use your name at all, let me know. Um, but this has a lot of parts to this question. That I'm going to try to get through this last segment. It says, I have a question regarding cashing out shares of stock accumulated in an employee stock purchase plan. That's an ESPP plan. He has an ESPP plan from a previous employer. He says he's accumulated a few hundred shares of the company stock purchased over the years, which he was employed. And the last date he purchased the stock was in 2018. So he says this would be considered long-term capital gains. And Jim explains in this email that the company was recently bought by another organization. So everybody that has these stocks, they have to cash out and pay the capital gains. And so one of his questions is that we're going to lead into is that he has higher income as a result of selling these ESPP shares. So the first thing I want to tell you guys, if you own ESPP shares, shares that you buy at a discount through your employer, there, if you want to get the best tax treatment, you have to have a qualifying disposition. That means you have to have held the stock for one year from purchase date or two years from the offering date. All right. But even if you meet those requirements, that discount that you get on the stock, 10 to 15%, depending on your employer, once you sell, that's always taxed as ordinary income. Even if you gift the stocks to charity, that's always taxed as ordinary income. You have to realize that. So the whole thing is not taxed as capital gains. It's very important to realize if you're doing any kind of a tax analysis here. And that information that you, the discount information, you can get a form 3922, I believe it is, from your employer to find out that information. So what he, he goes on to, he says, I'm over 50 years old and currently employed as a W-2 contractor. When I combine my salary in 2021 to the additional financial gain from selling the ESPP shares, I go from 85000 to a little over 130000 in taxable income. My inquiry here is to determine whether there's a preferable method to move or incorporate most of that additional income, whether it's capital gain in income, into tax-free or low-tax format, like a 401k. So this whole thing leads into this situation where California thought they were doing something good, and in some cases, it's not. 
So a lot of it, people out there are contracted self-employed workers where in the past they would just go to work for a period for, for a company for a year, two years, whatever on contract. And that company would pay them by 1099. And when you're paid by 1099, you're responsible for everything, all of your own benefits, your FICA tax, your self-employment tax, everything. Now that FICA tax, let's just call it 15%. When you work on your own, you're paying the whole thing. When you work for somebody by W2, you pay half and the employer pays half. And what California did because of this whole benefit situation, make a long story short, they turned a lot of 1099 workers into W2 workers, which absolutely screwed up their ability to do all these fancy individual 401k plans, mega Roths and all this other stuff. California, you need to change this. You need to fix this problem because now that uh, Jim, even though he is a self-employed individual, he's getting paid by a W2 and it drastically limits what he can do with a retirement plan. So the way around that, Jim, and it might be even a little late if you're already into the 2021 year, is to change the way that you're set up with your company so that you have an actual contracting engagement and you're incorporated and they're paying your company by way of a 1099. You have to try to get to that point if you want to do anything fancy. But I do want to tell you that, look, capital gains for you is going to be taxed at a fairly low income bracket, probably 15%, depending on if you're married or single. And I wouldn't technically change, take capital gain income from some of these ESPPs and try to find a fancy way to put it into a 401k pre-tax where it's going to later be taxed as ordinary income. So I get what you're trying to do. I don't know if I would do it with the ESPP. I want you to understand how ESPPs are calculated. And I do want you to have a retirement plan, but I don't think the tax situation is going to be quite as bad as you think. And this is why it's really good to have a good team, a certified financial planner, a CPA that can run a projection, you know, certified financial planners. We can run these projections at EP Wealth. We actually have taxes in-house in addition to doing the financial planning. But a lot of times when people think they're going to get this large income because of the way capital gains works, it's not as bad maybe as you think. Um, but I, I, this, this leads to this bigger problem that puts me on the soapbox of sometimes people in politics do something they think works and it doesn't. And if you have a self-employed person that's been maxing out all these retirement plans and all of a sudden they switch from being paid by a 1099 to a W-2, like in Jim's situation, it blows up the stuff that they can do for the retirement plan. Like most self-employed people that don't have any employees or maybe it's just their spouse can do an individual 401k and get $63,000 if they're over 50, you put away pre-tax. They can do a defined benefit plan to put even more money away pre-tax or they can do a combination of that with a mega Roth and get maybe 30, 40,000 away pre-tax, 20, 30,000 into a Roth 401k and a defined benefit. There's so much stuff that you can do as a self-employed person that's getting paid by a 1099. But those people that have been switched to a W-2, all of a sudden they're getting a W-2, which makes them so they're not allowed to do an individual 401k on their own. And then the company that's paying them by a W-2 doesn't offer them a 401k. That is a big problem. And if you're a contractor, if you're a self-employed person, or maybe you're working for somebody and you're about to go self-employed, you have to realize how limited your options are going to be if you're being paid by a W-2. So you have to potentially negotiate a higher income if you're self-employed because of the self-employment tax, but then it opens up the whole world of retirement planning for you. So keep that in mind 
when you're negotiating, you might need to say, instead of just paying me as a sole proprietor by W2, I need to create an entity and I need an engagement uh, contract as a contractor with your company and I'll do my own benefits if, it, if it's at all possible. You, know, you need a good CPA and attorney potentially to get this done the right way. Hope that makes sense. If you uh, have any questions, especially if you're self-employed, trying to really max out your savings and get caught up on retirement, shoot me an email. It's chat at chadburton.com. We've got a team of over 50 certified financial planners to help people out. So shoot me that email, chat at chadburton.com. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, iTunes, and all the other podcast platforms. You can find it at chadburton.com. 